This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 31, Beautiful Detours. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me as I challenge you to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you are meant to be. Let's do this. Miss Unstoppable, welcome to a very special episode of the show. Today I'm talking about beautiful detours with the incredible Amy Orstrasser, and she is going to be sharing her beautiful detour. This story will blow your mind what she has been through. Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you. It's just like so much. She is going to talk about how she has gone from gutless, literally, to grateful in her life and all the things she's been through and what she used to get her through all of these hardships and goodness, it is just so inspiring to listen to her story. And I brought her on specifically for a couple of reasons. First off, for you to just hear her story and for you to understand that you can overcome so many things in your life and you can always find gratitude even in really, really hard things. And two, for you to feel grateful for some of the things in your life that you may not even realize some people don't have. And two, Amy has a really interesting perspective on creativity and how she uses that for her healing that I think can be really beneficial for a lot of you out there. And finally, I brought her on because Amy didn't quite wake up to some of her hardships directly. She kind of had to listen to certain messages that were coming her way in order for her to really wake up and realize, oh my goodness, this was not normal. This was traumatic and I needed to heal from it. And I think a lot of times we view trauma as these huge, big things that have happened to us or other people, and it doesn't have to be. It can be little things of anytime you felt unsafe, and so many of us are just walking around numbing the pain, and Amy's body would not allow her to do that. And many times she was just guided toward things that she didn't know why she was guided that way, but it was her body's way of saying, I need you to listen to me because... This has happened to you, even though you may not realize it. So just a very, very powerful story. A little bit of background on Amy is that she's an Audi Award-nominated playwright, performer, and multidisciplinary creator. She's a singer, a librist, a visual artist. She dedicates her work to celebrating untold stories and the details in life that can spark connection and transform communities. Amy overcame a lot of trauma in her life, 
And now she has become a sought after PTSD specialist, life coach, author, writer for the Huffington Post. She's an international keynote speaker. She's a RAIN representative. She's given three TEDx talks about trauma and creativity. She's been on NBC's Today and many, many outlets in the news. And she has recently written a book called My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. And we talk about the book a couple times in this interview. And I really, really hope that if you resonate with her story and you want more, that you will buy her book and support this incredible woman. So I won't talk anymore because her story is amazing and I don't want to put it off anymore. So here is my incredible incredible interview with Amy. Amy, thank you so much for joining me and all the listeners out there for the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast. I kind of mentioned in the intro, but you to me define what an unstoppable woman is to a whole new level. And I'm thrilled to have you on today to share your story. And I thought we would start with your story in high school. So who was Amy kind of approaching the graduation years of high school? What was she like and what was she looking forward to? Yeah, well, I was really driven um, as a teen. Um, Musical theater was my world and I was so uh, determined to pursue that um, through college and beyond. And I always remember thinking, wow, I'm so lucky that I'm really confident in knowing exactly what I want to do. And so I was kind of your typical um, type A teenager applying to you know, 17 colleges and and really uh, having a set plan in, in my head and, and loving it. Um, so um, that was really... Um, my life as I thought um, it would go um, until I um, had a voice teacher who really um, took me under his wing and really I felt was was giving me a, a path forward you know further in theater um, and then studying for two years with him um, after two years um, you know I was sexually abused and this lasted for a period of months, almost a year. Um, and this really <laughs> knocked me out of the water. I mean, I didn't even know those things could happen. I was very naive as a high schooler. And so I just froze. I became very numb and couldn't even recognize that that was what was happening to me. And this was you know, my senior year of high school just when I thought my life was just going forward from here. Um, so that really just put me in this static place where you know, I didn't even recognize myself and what was happening to me. I suddenly felt you know, stuck in place. Um, and then you know, months later, I could finally figure out what was going on. And the April of my senior year, I finally told my mother, what had been going on just when I was realizing it. And it was you know, overwhelming for her and for me. And but we were going to heal. We were going to find a way forward and, and out of this. And then um, two weeks later, I just had a very bad stomachache that wasn't going away. And my father ended up rushing me to the emergency room because the pain was just getting worse and worse. And it turned out to be a blood clot 
that was sitting on the mesenteric artery. And so for someone that really never had any health problems her entire life, you know, it was being taken to the emergency room. And apparently when surgeons cut into me, um, there was so much internal pressure building up inside my abdomen um, that my stomach literally exploded. And I got sepsis. I was in a coma um, for months. And this was the April of my senior year. Um, and so I woke up from a coma months later, really having no idea what had just happened. Um, and so I woke up and have pretty foggy memories of coming in and out. But then eventually I remember the surgeon finally telling me um, what was going on, um, that now I had no stomach anymore and I couldn't eat or drink. And doctors didn't know uh, when or if that would ever happen again. And so, you know, I was 18, um, hearing this for the first time and thinking, well, I, I thought I was going to the University of Michigan to study musical theater. Um, so it, it turned out to be a very uh, alternate route <laughs> than I had anticipated. And when I woke up, there was really not even a roadmap for me or even, you know, a prediction of the next step. Um, so it was just a lot of day to day and just grappling with what is this new world I'm in. It really felt like I was waking up in the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so much there, Amy. And I've heard many interviews of you now as I was prepping for this interview. And <laughs> when you talked about the abuse, um, and you mm -hmm. said you were a naive high school girl. I think so many of us can relate to that because if I were in those shoes, yeah. I would feel the same way of like, okay, I know there's something wrong here, but I don't really know what this is. But you had said in those moments, you would just kind of go out of body. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it wasn't until later that you saw a book on a shelf and thought, what was it like a trauma book? What book? Right. Right. It, it was a book, um, The Courage to Heal. And you have to understand, too, that this was not just, you know, being sexually abused by someone that just, you know, attacked me on the street. You know, this was someone who I really developed a mentorship with. And he had actually asked to be my godfather. And now I was close with my family. And I was going every week for voice lessons. And so when he started sexually abusing me, you know, I, I learned what PTSD was many, many years later, but I, I disassociated. I just imagined myself as a dot on the ceiling. And once I realized what PTSD was, I realized, oh, that's why like, I knew I had a body, but I felt myself like a dot somewhere. And I just felt very numb. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I always, I always really felt my heart. I knew what I was feeling, and that's why I loved acting. And so, how I discovered that book was, um, I was in Barnes and Nobles, and I had just gotten used to you know, pacing around in circles just to block out any kind of feeling. And I didn't know why I was so into that mechanical movement, but I realized it was a way to just not think and not feel. And I happened to see this bright yellow book in Barnes and Nobles. And I guess, you know, in my gut, I must have known I needed some kind of healing or something because I kept pacing around the 
healing and spirituality section. And so I looked at this yellow book and it said, the courage to heal. Um, that was the name of the book, which is actually, you know, a very um, known book for survivors of assault. And so I took the book out of the shelf and it said for survivors of sexual abuse. And that was the first time I had ever, you know, really seen those words in writing as a, as a book that I was even considering. So like I like laughed and kind of freaked out and put it back. It was as if I was like picking up a book by accident that said like for heroin addicts or something. I was like, what you, that's not me. And so I just put it back. And then, you know, I ended up going back for it. So something must have rang out, you know, curiosity that, okay, this sexual abuse thing, um, maybe I need to look at this more. And I happened to open the page of symptoms. And it was right there, you know, that I feel numb. Um, I feel out of body. I don't trust myself anymore. And it was like I was staring at exactly what I had been sensing was wrong with me. And I was like, oh, my God, that's me. And that's really when it sank in that, oh, crap, like this has happened to me. But it's so interesting that being so out of body, I I couldn't, or, you know, in denial, really, I couldn't put two and two together until I saw it um, in words in front of me. Yeah. And I think so many people out there can relate to that, even if it's not sexual abuse. Um, I know for yeah. me, I was always kind of drawn to things like toxic parents or things of that sort. And I was like, why, you know, why am I drawn to those things? And right. I was like, your childhood wasn't quite normal, Lindsay. Some of those would be considered abuse. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And and I see that with a lot with my clients that they're just drawn to something and they don't know why, because we're just so used to numbing that out and thinking, you know, let's, let's avoid that. You know, we have out of body experiences and um, I just love that about your story that you were drawn to that and you took that. Um, now I do want to kind of fast forward to the stomach mm-hmm. and you're waking up yeah. from that coma and you're realizing, Oh my gosh, I've been in a coma and I'm not going to the university of Michigan and said, it sounds like you were still kind of fighting for your life then Amy. Is that what I understand? Oh yes. Um, you know, when I was in a coma, I mean, that was, I always think of that was the easy part for me and my family who stayed with me had the difficult part with surgeons saying, you know, first I wouldn't make it through the night. Then it was minute to minute. Then there was a chance when they had to take some of my vocal cords, I might never be able to talk again. And I'd never be able to walk again. So when I was waking up, I was, it was getting to that point. Like, um, I might never be able to walk again. I might never be able to eat again. I didn't know that, you know, being on bed rest, you know, I didn't know what it was like that getting up for the first time. I couldn't even stand because in my head, I was just in dance class. So I kind of felt like a teenager who was like suddenly grounded. You know, I was like angry. I felt like these surgeons were like putting me in like this prison. I and I didn't understand, like, why can't I eat? Why can't I just, I didn't understand why I couldn't leave the ICU. I'm like, I just want to go outside for a walk. And and that's when they send the psychiatrist in and everyone that thinks you're crazy. But for me, you know, I, I, I didn't understand why I couldn't just go right to college when everyone around me was like, we are still trying to make sure that 
you are medically stable. And I wasn't medically stable because um, when my stomach burst, you know, all these toxic fluids went, you really threatened to go into all of my other organs. And so things were still leaking and opening. And so uh, doctors really couldn't let me leave the ICU floor until they had found, you know, a way to jam enough tubes and wires and stuff to get all the leaking to stop. And and that's why even a sip of water would kill me because the water would have no place to go. I I had nothing in my torso area. It was just an empty abdominal cavity. So it was a very dangerous way to live. And then when I was discharged from the hospital, I was like so excited. You know, we all we all have that in our head that like oh, when I do this, I'll be happy. When I get a job, I'll be happy. For me, it was like, everything will be normal when I'm out of the hospital. I'll just be, you know, back to normal. Um, But that was actually harder because in the hospital, you're kind of in this protected nest. And so it's like, okay to feel weak or, or sick or, you know, you're not around as much food so you can deal with that. But at home, I realized like I didn't really have a role. And more than that, everything around me was lethal. I mean, I was right by a kitchen sink where I couldn't even have a sip of water. I was in a house with a kitchen. Um, So that was the really difficult part where my mom was always so afraid that I would forget and eat a pretzel or something. But no, I didn't forget. I was just tortured by it. Um, through every step and then the worst part is it's kind of easier when you're like okay they say I have to go a few weeks or a few months there was just this you know wide expanse of you can't eat and you know just keep checking in with us and we'll we'll just make sure you're still stable and you know maybe one day we'll start putting a plan together to see if it's possible so I'd really come home to this life of, okay, all my friends are in college. Uh, I'm just kind of learning to walk again. Um, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm starving. I can't eat and I don't know whether it's stupid to hope for this or just to pretend like it it will never happen again. Um, Thankfully, like theater, which had always been my first love, you know, theater really saved me as soon as I got out of the hospital because I happened to see that there were auditions for a local musical of Oliver. And at this point, I'd just gotten out of the ICU. I was still shaking. I could hardly walk, but somehow I convinced my parents to let me audition. Um, And I ended up getting the lead role. And as crazy as that sounds, doing, you know, it was Nancy and Oliver even though I couldn't eat or drink and I was like dying while the cast was having like water breaks, being in that group setting of like a supportive community, because that's what theater is, and having a role and feeling like I was good at something besides being a patient, that really saved me. Um, And that, I I really credit that for getting me through the first few months uh, transitioning at home. Um, because by the time I performed on opening night, I felt like I had made something for myself and I could get through just a few more months without thinking of the ultimate, like, when is this over? And that's how I really did all those years I couldn't eat or drink, just 
you know, a day at a time, a week at a time, uh, a month at a time. I can only imagine that feeling, Amy, of what do I do now? I mean, (laughs) yeah. And what do I hope for? What do I, and, and yet you knew in your heart of hearts, this is where I need to go. And that was theater. And so what happened next? Tell us, because I know eventually you were able to start to drink and eat. So kind of take us to that point. Right. Well, um, you know, doing Oliver um, got me through the first few months. And then by the end of that, um, the surgeons actually found a way where they could divert enough fluid out of my neck. Um, and this very weird operation where um, they diverted half my esophagus. So I, now I had this bag on my neck so I could finally drink. And I actually didn't absorb anything. It just came right out, right out the bag. So it wasn't anything nutritional, but I could actually like taste fluids and, and as long as it came out of this bag. And so that really, you know, considering I'd gone this whole time without having anything, I was thrilled. I mean, I, they told me like to start with two ounces of water a day. And I did that for a while. And then I, you know, I started to experiment a little and slowly increase it. And then like a year later, somehow I had figured out a way to have like milkshakes and like strained soup and like all this stuff like that I, as long as it could come out the bag and it didn't kill me. Um, so that really got me through another two years. Um, and then as you know, I was kind of being shopped around to surgeons to see, um, you know, who could figure out a plan to get me to eat. Because at that point, it wasn't that, you know, we have to wait until it's safe enough uh, to, you know, to eat. We really had to find a surgeon who could think of a way to do this. You know, there was really nothing like this had ever happened before in terms of the stomach exploding. So really, you know, my dad just put in calls to surgeons all over the country to see if anyone had an idea. Um, so that's what took all those years afterwards. And we finally found a surgeon at Yale who proposed this uh, two-part reconstructive surgery. Um, and so uh, the first part was 19 hours. Um, and that didn't exactly go as planned, but um, to get through all that time until then, I you know I was getting hungry, hungry and hungrier by the day, and you know worse, I was starting to feel really good and healthy and strong, and I was doing karate, I was weightlifting, I was tap dancing, so like the worst part was feeling great, but knowing I could never really be independent at this point, because I was still on your intravenous IVs, I couldn't eat. I had a breakdown every time I saw someone like eating lunch. And so I wanted to be in the world so bad, but it's very hard when you are forbidden to have food. You know, food is such a social um, part of life. So I actually ended up starting a chocolate business, totally by accident, but I realized I loved playing with food when I couldn't eat. And somehow that turned into me melting chocolate and like painting with it and creating cookies and peanut butter cups. And I, I made a thing of that. Every day I needed to do that for myself for like an hour. And I ended up shipping out my chocolate to states all over the country. Um, So that got me through. Again, I think of it as another creative way 
um, that I could be with whatever, you know, feelings were torturing me and make something creative out of it. And creativity in all its various forms is really what saved me um, throughout. And that was the creativity that got me through until that reconstructive surgery. Um, that surgery worked for a very short time where I could eat maybe for like a week. And then my wound exploded and um, I was aired back to Yale Medical Hospital. Um, and this was really, I felt like I'd hit rock bottom because, you know, you climb and climb to the top and you think you're finally there. And then you have this thing taken away from you that you worked all these years to get back. And suddenly you're back in that place. And it was really hard to just not want to lose hope altogether. Um, but this was really the creativity that really saved me from a really terrible place. Um, I discovered visual art. Um, and now, you know, I still paint to this day and I would have never painted had I not picked up a paintbrush in Yale um, that my mom had just brought to the hospital because I was so angry. I just didn't want to do anything. Um, and I remember picking up that paintbrush out of total desperation because I was just so aggravated and frustrated um, and just putting every feeling of anger and fear and uncertainty I had into that paintbrush when I really just wanted to punch a wall. And I ended up painting uh, the painting that's now on the cover of my book, which is a singing tree. And what I love about that now is you know, today it just feels like this very happy dancing tree. Um, but it was created at a time of so much aggravation and worry. Um, and it really showed me that, you know, wow, when I when I put whatever I'm feeling into this canvas and get it out through there, you know, whatever circumstances in my life, somehow it's transformed by the time I paint. And I still take that uh, with me each day. Um, not just with art, but with any kind of creativity. I mean, that's really how it saved me. You know, whatever we're feeling, you know, it really does not serve us well to repress or ignore what we're feeling. But if we can be in it and really soak in it and even create with it, you know, we can move it around. And our circumstances may not change right this second, but we somehow feel like we're beyond this you mess of feelings that we're in. Yeah, that's so true. I just love your story, Amy. I'm like, I have no words. It's just beautiful oh. the way that you naturally leaned in to the pain to create. You know, so many other people could give up. So many other people would want to just completely numb out. Um, and you just kept going and you kept listening and kept following that. What was your drive to do that, to keep trying and keep, keep on? You know, it, it's interesting. I, I thought about that a lot. Like, why didn't it phase me that you know, giving up wasn't an option? And I'm, I'm thinking maybe it was my life before that I always, I always felt connected to the world. I always had a love for life. Um, and I just didn't think of it as an option. Uh, you know, even through the worst of it, waking up, I always thought to myself, okay, this is what it is and this is where I am, but I don't really have an alternative. So 
I, I think it's also because I've always been like very productive and I've always like loved doing things. So I was never the kind of person that wanted to just like, you know, hide in bed and cry and watch movies. Um, so I mean, I would have like a pity party for like a second and then I would get really like frustrated that, you know, okay, this isn't very fun. And I, I would think like, okay, like how can I get myself out of this? I remember my, my mom, when I would, you know, we tried to have like a, a game night when I couldn't eat or drink. And I just got so frustrated because I was so excited, but then everyone wanted food and I was starving. And so I went upstairs and I just like cried my eyes out and just felt terrible. And then my mom was like, she, it's going to be 10 minutes and then she's going to get sick of this. And she was right. And I found something else to do. So I, I think I've always known that, you know, life is here and life is fleeting and we have it. And, you know, we could, we could really complain about a lot of circumstances, but either way, whatever we have is going to pass us by. So if we have this life now, why don't we, make something of it, whatever it is. Cause you know, who are we to say, what is the life we should be having? You know, make something of it. And I think I've always had that mindset growing up and maybe it helped that I always loved being creative as a kid because I've had that skill of, okay, things are good. Let me create an alternative. But that's why in the work I do now, I try to show people that, listen, you don't have to be an artist to be creative creativity is the best mindset that you're ever going to have because it's a way to take whatever you've got and figure out a way to see it differently. And I think that's really uh, what's been like my superpower. Sure. Well, what year was it that you had those elective surgeries, Amy? Yeah. So everything was going well. And I eventually made a one woman musical about my life because I had conquered and persevered you know, through everything. Um, and I called it gutless and grateful in 2012. And, after, you know, by this point, I've already been eating for years. I was feeling good and strong. And, you know, I just performed a one woman musical in New York about my story. Um, so a week after that, you know, which happened to be on election day, November, 2012, I got my first elective surgery. And this was my 27th surgery. And the reason why I was, was elective is because I was all healed, um, but I still had an ostomy bag and I had a tiny um, fistula, which a fistula is an opening from a surgery that happened uh, that shouldn't be there. Um, and I could live a functional life with it, but I had, you know, I was singing and dancing in a red dress, feeling great. And I'm like, you know what? It's if I found a surgeon that thinks he can really reverse both things, you know, why not? Um, and I had my family behind me and a lot of people saying, you know, if I don't get this surgery, I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering, you know, what if I had gotten it? Um, I think I learned from that, that some things are better off just wondering what it would have been like if you didn't get it. Um, because um, that surgery really turned into a total disaster, you know, three surgeries in eight days. and it really, you know, since 2012, um, it's really not been good um, medically. You know, now I only absorb 20% of what I eat. You know, the surgery caused like more holes and whatever intestine I had. Um, and we're still trying to find answers for it. 
Um, so that part really hasn't been fun. And if I could call anything like I want to redo, I probably would have not gotten that surgery. And again, I had food and drink taken away from me for many more months. Um, but, you know, three things, you know, happen because of that. Um, you know, one is I, I realized, you know, I rewrote my musical and, and performed it a year later and realized through that, um, that, wow, you know, there are so many, you know, mental health themes and sexual assault themes. I ended up taking the show to colleges and conferences um, as a mental health and PTSD program. Um, the biggest discovery was, you know, I realized that even though I'm 25, you know, I decided college was too late. And then I realized I really, you know, I'm still bigger than my medical circumstances. And I, I reapplied to college and I started Hampshire College, which really changed my life in, in so many different ways. Um, I graduated when I was 30. I'm actually starting uh, grad school. I started uh, this year. And, um, and I also ended up um, starting online dating um, and got divorced. But um, it was the first time after all of this that I learned how to do something else besides surviving and accomplishing. You know, I learned how to relax. I learned how to be a person and just have fun. Um, so I don't think if that disaster surgery had happened to me that I would have had you know, been really forced to reevaluate where I was going. I'm not saying you need a disaster to really, you know, decide to get a wake up call, but, um, you know, it didn't go how I planned and, and I wanted to do something uh, with it. So, and, and that led me out wow. to where I am now. So tell me where you are now, Amy. So where I am now, well, two years ago, <laughs> My first surgery unrelated to anything gastrointestinal, I was run over by a oh car, unfortunately. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know if I included that because that, that happened like right after my book was done. But um, <laughs> it ran over both my legs and, um, and I was in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber for four months. And a funny thing about that is the nurses were like, because I was on a walker for a really long time and they were even going to have to amputate my leg before this hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And the nurse said to me, wow, you're taking this so well. But for me, I'm like, this was the first surgery I've had where there were actually very clear steps of, you know, what you do with a broken leg, how you heal it and how you recover. And that was so new to me because I'm so used to every surgery I've had being like, okay, go to this surgeon, maybe he'll come up with something and this guy will come up with an idea. But no, there are like set guidelines for how broken legs heal. Um, and I, I realized that, you know, when you break something and you, it eventually builds back stronger. And I realized that's kind of been the metaphor uh, for my whole life, you know, breaking things. If you really um, do the work to build yourself back up and keep your you know, eyes open, uh, it can make you stronger. Um, and so I've done a lot since then. Um, I published my memoir. Um, I've still been touring Gutless and Grateful, but I've actually taken my original songs, um, over 200 pieces of my artwork, um, and I've created a new multimedia one-woman musical called Passageways, 
which really combines everything, um, which I just um, premiered. And um, I give create, as you can tell by all this, you know, creativity has really been my guiding force. So, you know, over the past few years, I've given three TED Talks on, on various ways of how creativity can help transform trauma or what you're going through. And my first TED Talk, which I you know you saw, um, was all about finding the flower on your detour. And that really spoke to a lot of people. Um, I wanted to use that detour idea because I frankly was tired of people coming up to me and saying, oh my God, you know, I haven't been through anything like you've been through, um, but I've still been through like a little something. You know, there's no comparing in terms of what happened to me is worse or you, know, you had it easier. We all have something unexpected in our lives. And I say that not to minimize what we all go through, but, you know, swapping war stories and comparing doesn't really help anyone because I realized firsthand I could only start to heal when I could find commonalities with other people. And you can't really find many other people whose stomach exploded, but you can find other people that have gone through a breakup or have moved to another place and been forced to start a life over or had a different job or had just anything surprise them. So when I just started you know, categorizing all this as a detour, then all of us just became, you know, detourists and we could all help each other just by sharing our stories. Uh, so I started, you know, my love, my detour uh, movement, which turned into first started with the hashtag love my detour, but then that turned into, you know, workshops and, and workbooks and, and speaking and programs. And I have more plans for that. Um, but really, it was it was just a way to bring everyone together, because I think it's great that we're talking about you know, mental health a lot more. Um, it's not so great when we let certain labels define us, because I feel like some of those things can separate us more than draw us together, because um, I feel like I've dealt with every mental health and physical health thing in the book, so I didn't really know what category I belonged in. <laughs> But um, really, you know, making this a universal thing, I think, is a way to create empathy and um, understanding. Yeah. So you've written a book you've mentioned, which I have been reading, and it's so good, called My Beautiful Detour. And you mentioned oh, many other you. things you're working on, Amy, but kind of tell us, you know, where we can find you and and reach out. Oh. Yes. Well, my book, my book, I just published my book over the summer and I'm so excited because, um, you know, it's, it's my full story. It's also has excerpts from my family um, when they were in the ICU with me and their whole um, thoughts. But you can find uh, the book, which is My Beautiful Detour, um, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. Um, you can find it on my website, on Amazon, um, at any major retailer you can even order it and at your library um so um and i'm also doing uh speaking on that and um i'm still touring my one woman musical um and i'm i'm booking myself anywhere so i really i really can come to people who have just sent me a note and just are interested in learning more um, I also started doing um Zoom kind of book uh book discussions for book clubs where I come right into your living room. But um that's really the best place you can find me by um sending me a note um about my book. 
um, or I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, but I'm pretty well responsive on Facebook and, and my website. So um, that's, uh, I'm sure you'll get the link, but it's amyoes.com. And yeah, um, I'm on yeah. it now. Amyoes.com is where you can find Amy. So Amy, I have to know, how are you feeling today? I, in your yeah, recent I, life? I'm feeling good. I mean, I left this out, but last week I started a new job. I am the um, official um, behavioral and mental health coordinator for 14 um, regions in Connecticut for um, young adults and teens. Um, so I'm I'm feeling like I've shared my story and now it's great to use the skills I learned to survive my own story and now really pay it forward and to help people that are in the position I was in, you know, in high school. So, so that feels really good. I think I'm in the stage of my life where um, I felt the positive effects of healing my story. And now I really want to help other people Um, physically, medically, I'm feeling good. I can eat or drink, but I still have um, aftermath from that 27th surgery that I'm still trying to figure out. So I'm still, you know, shopping myself around to surgeons all over the country. But, you know, I learned too long ago that if I wait for everything to be my version of normal, you know, it will be, you know, 40 years will pass and I'll still be wondering what happened. So, you know, those are the circumstances, but who doesn't have circumstances? So onward we go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there are so many amazing nuggets in this interview. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us. I know you share your story often and it's a beautiful one. So thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you. Well, well thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm glad you're doing a podcast on resilience. I mean, I think it's a skill that, that we all need to just at least be exposed to and, and learn more about. Even me, I, I still have a lot to learn. So thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Become an Unstoppable Woman. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you get new episodes every Monday. And I'd love it if you left a review for the show too, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you want even more from the show, come join the conversation online in my community. Each week we break down the episode and you have a private space to ask your questions. To join, go to lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-E, Preston.com forward slash community. And if you feel like you're really ready to change your life, let's work together in my coaching programs. I have a free assessment that's the first step to seeing if we're a good fit. Just go to lindsayepreston.com forward slash assessment to take it now. Thanks again for tuning into the show today. I'm so grateful you're here and I'll see you next time. But until we meet again, remember my friend, you're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.